Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. me today, I have an absolutely incredible guest. Um, the amount of things that she is doing is uh, kind of insane and so inspiring. Um, but she is a game designer, a streamer, uh, a podcaster, uh, a very number of things, an award winner for a number of things. We'll get into all of that. But uh, yeah, if you would like to introduce yourself. Oh, we're starting off hard off the bat, huh? Hi, yeah. I'm Tanya, <laughs> uh, known as Cypher Tier Online. I do all of those things. I also stream on Twitch. I do a lot of D&D, a lot of mm-hmm. other stuff, make dice, print minis when my machine is up and running. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm a nerd of all trades, master of none. Yeah. <laughs> I think you probably mastered a few things. But um, yeah, I mean, where I always like to start is, and I know obviously that you've had a documentary made about you, um, but... Let's see if we can undig if we can dig up some stuff that maybe I talked about as much, but um, yeah, like where I always like to start is, uh, how did you get into nerd stuff? Uh, actually, it was pretty much my mom because you know she took me to see like the original Star Trek in the theaters, even though it was like very very small when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know there was books everywhere in the house. Uh, funnily enough, though, she wasn't about like D and D. Like all the other nerdy stuff was cool. Yeah. And gaming was something she never really was into or like liked to see me into. Mm-hmm. But it was just one of those things where it was like, oh, well, I got to start reading books, reading, like, do, watching a lot of TV, like watching the original Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. and just kind of went from there. Yeah. So w- was she affected at all by, like, the um, satanic panic or just she just thought it was weird? Uh, she thought D&D unto itself was weird. By the time Satanic Panic happened, and I was, oh God, Satanic Panic was what, the 80s, 90s? So, yeah, yeah, 80s. Yes, I was like getting to be a teen, getting to be a little older, and she was just, she had become quite religious by then, mm-hmm. and uh, she fully bought into Satanic Panic, Yeah, and uh, it was just a thing where she just wasn't down with, with uh, me really doing D&D decided to become that kid that lied to go out and play D&D and do other stuff. Yeah. When, uh, like what age were you when you finally got to try it out? Uh, like very early teens. Okay. Um, you know, all of us, you know how there was always the one kid in the neighborhood that had everything new. Mm-hmm. There was that kid. It was like, Oh, you got a Nintendo, you got a Sega, you yeah. got D&D books, whatever. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, in those early days, were you immediately hooked or was it just like it was tangential to stuff that you liked and so you kind of came back to it? Um, It was hooked because unlike books and unlike movies and TV, mm-hmm. here's this whole vast world where I just needed my imagination Yeah. versus a book or something where, cool, I've got a book, but it's finite. Like when I get to the end, that's it. That's what the author's given us. Yeah. Same with the movie. You sit there, you're two and a half, three hours. You're like... Okay, cool. What now? And and this is, you know, like, I think we're both of an age where there weren't always like a billion sequels and it wasn't mm-hmm. assumed you were getting a sequel. Yeah. 
and the ending didn't lead into ha ha next time on fill in the blank yeah so when you were done with that movie you were done Mm -hmm. so yeah that is very true and um yeah i mean yeah you go back to rewatches but there's still so much stuff that you wish like would be expanded on Mm -hmm. for sure when when it came to like the books were you more of the fantasy side or more sci-fi or did you kind of mix genres pretty easily uh, both. I was someone who like read every sci-fi book in my hand on, but I also read Cimmerillion. Yeah. Um, you know, I've still got, you know, and for all the problems that Tolkien has, I still have all my copies of, you know, the, the Hobbit trilogy, Lord of the right. Rings. My thing is I got older, I veered, I kind of like zigzagged around like some, some of my formative years, I was definitely more on the fantasy side, but then I got hardcore into like Star Trek, Star Wars, um, OG, um, Battlestar Galactica. So I kind of zigzagged on what I liked more. Yeah. How, how old do you think you were when you like realized there was a representation problem and all that stuff? Oh God, I was probably in my twenties. This wasn't like, Oh, I was 14 and didn't see any black chicks. (laughs) This is, Oh, I finally have a home video game system and I'm buying these games and, the only black characters we're getting are like dude from street fighter, mm-hmm. you know, GTA games or sports games where it's like, and then we didn't even get WNBA games for the longest time. Yeah. So this was not like, a, Oh, I realized this from a young age. It took like into my twenties, probably close to my thirties. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because it's like, you're, you're kind of just, immune to like you just see it right and you just this is all we ever see we just see these characters in the book i remember recently the um wheel of time tv series came out yeah Uh, did you read those books when you were younger if i did i don't remember i don't think they stuck with me yeah so i mean i read them and there are later on in the novels there are people of color in the books who kind of like he kind of pulled pieces of different cultures and put them in as uh stand-ins essentially for um cultures in the book but the main cast, I always just perceived as white. And they recast a lot of them as people of color for mm-hmm. the new series, which was amazing. Obviously, that created an uproar um, because white people. And, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so, but it was interesting. Like, I was talking to another friend who had just started reading them, and he was like, oh, I always kind of just assumed they were brown. And I was like, that's so weird oh. that we, like, even, you know, had that kind of disconnect and maybe it's he maybe he saw the trailer and put that in i don't know but it is interesting like there's so much of that where we just i agree i just wanted more um i talked about before like playing the tony hawk um probably like underground two or something like that and being able to make a black kid with an afro i was over the moon you know yeah and and it's interesting because so i mean we've both seen this where people go you're forcing an agenda this doesn't Mm -hmm. this isn't right or it's historically accurate first off if y'all got some elves and dragons somewhere (laughs) you need to let people know because i could do it with some magical ability i like some dragon hordes and treasure (laughs) um i would like things with the witcher and it's like i love the witcher series Mm -hmm. But I'm well aware of the flaws. But, you know, that's something that's more contemporary where I realized I got into it after I'd already started kind of doing this DEI work and and also just speaking up about it more as as a gamer. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, games and movies that we played as kids Mm -hmm. and teens, none of us even 
maybe cotton to the fact that there were no people of color. There was nobody browner than a brown paper bag. If yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it was pretty wild. What was like some of the early games that you did enjoy though? You know, like I, I, I went through the whole Mortal Kombat in the arcades, mm-hmm. yeah. but you know, I, I am ColecoVision years old. So Pong, all of that excite <laughs> yeah. bike. I, f- I always forget the name of it where you're like the guy swinging and you have to swing over the crocodile pits. I know what you're talking you about. Know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 I can't remember the name of that either though, but yeah. Is, was it just pitfall? Was it just called it, pitfall? Pitfall for sure was a game, but yeah. Yeah. But again, like here's this little like six, like six sprite character that has no real personality. You're just running around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, Street Fighter. I grew up on fighting games, um, Cruising USA, mm-hmm. and Excite Bikes. Do you remember when Excite Bike was in the arcade and you actually sat on a on a faux motorcycle? Yeah. <laughs> and then I was afraid I'd fall off of it. Yeah, yeah. They kind of lean. They leaned quite a bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I know I, myself. Sometimes I would put both feet down or just one foot down, um, just yeah. so I don't tip. But uh, yeah, I mean, arcades for sure were such a fun thing it's it's cool when they're around still but i think it's just definitely the whole effect of it has changed a lot because it's like before that's a lot of times that's the only place people could go game um yeah and you know we we had a couple systems growing up but it wasn't really until nintendo 64 i had a stepbrother who had like a sega and uh an early nintendo and then um he moved out and my step my brother and I ended up getting a Nintendo 64 and, and getting um, Zelda. And that was nice. That was it. That was like, oh, okay, yeah, RPGs are the only game I want to play. <laughs> yeah, I vaguely. It's so funny because I know I played Zelda, but mm-hmm. again, I don't know if it's just getting older or just the fact that games is now part of my work. Yeah. But a lot of those games you grew up with, it's like, I know that I played it. Couldn't tell you anything about the early Zelda games that saved my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a long time too. So um, but yeah, I mean that's super cool. Do you have a preference now? I know obviously you stream games and stuff, but like if you didn't have to do it for work or whatever, like is there a specific kind of game, or even if it is for streaming that you would enjoy playing more? Oh, I definitely like longer narrative RPGs, so Western RPGs. Yeah, I've played Dragon Age Inquisition to the point where I've burned through all the save slots on console. <laughs> nice. Um, I don't know how that works on PC unless you just run out of hard drive space. Yeah. But on console, you only get 50 save slots, and I've burned through <laughs> all of them. Um, you know, I've played The Witcher in full, finally, and I've, I've got a new game plus going. Yeah. So games where I can kind of get lost in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know people may not think of Mafia Three as an RPG, but I kind of do because you still yeah. you're still taking a story, yeah, and you have to follow Lincoln's um, revenge plot, but you also have to make decisions about what he does. Yeah. So I, to me, that that is very much that makes it an RPG. Yeah, yeah. Those narrative games are just something else. It's uh, it's one of those things. Like I, I, I wish that they had, like I wish The Witcher Three had customization options. Outside of just like Geralt's hair, right? Like it would be cool yeah. if you could play like a female Witcher or just a Witcher yeah. that didn't look like Geralt. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's hard because, and and this is not letting the devs off the hook. Yeah, 
and I didn't know this actually until I watched this part of the show and read some of the books. They've built it into the lore that women can't be witchers, which hopefully will change with the next game. Yeah. And actually, have you finished The Witcher? The show? Yes. The game. The game. Um, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Well, there's an ending where Siri becomes a witcher, but she, you don't make her do the mutations. Yeah. So clearly there's a way for women to be witchers. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what it, like the way it even read to me was just like, it was just kind of a sexist thing. Oh, uh, absolutely. You know? And so it was just like, okay, so clearly it's not a capacity thing. It's just like, they just didn't believe women were built well enough to be able to do it. When it's like, clearly all these boys died too. Uh, it's not like every boy went in there and became a witcher. So, um, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, even in like in the Witcher RPG, uh, the uh, tabletop game, you can. It says like you could do it, but this is the history of it where it's never happened. Um, and same with like yeah. elves and stuff. Yeah. yeah, a friend of mine did a. I forget if it was long running or if it was just, or if it was just like an ongoing series or a charity game. Mm-hmm. But she she was playing Triss. And then there was another, there were other people, uh, Gabe Hicks was on it and he was mm. playing a witcher. And mm. one of the other players kept insisting that she was like a witch. It's like, you couldn't just run around as a witch in witcher lore. Mm-hmm. If you've played the game or watch it, you know that they would have probably just persecuted and killed you. Yeah. No one cares that you have powers. You know, if you if we want to be lore compliant, and I'm <laughs> for those listening, I'm making the finger quotes of like <laughs> lore compliant. I refuse to say historically accurate. Yeah. Um, but there are people who just kind of go wild with it. And the whole point of a for me, a TTRPG is you've given me the rules, I can go make the story I want. Yeah. I agree. I mean, that's, you know, like, have fun. That's the whole point. Um, the and way I think, some people play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's it's awful. I think it's just one of those things, like, I don't understand gatekeeping at all. It just seems so weird to me. And and I'm, I, I imagine you probably went through this, too. But even, like, as a black nerd growing up, there's gatekeeping of just nerddom, of just being like, well, you're oh, black, yeah. like, you know. You can't be a nerd. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I and and you know, there was the whole that I mean, so before I say this, can I swear? Yeah, of course. Okay. Look, I, I try to be respectful. I'm <laughs> a guest on your show. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, but I grew up with a lot of things that I like to do is like that's white people's shit. Yeah. That's not stuff we quote unquote do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but did you not watch the same Star Trek I watch with Ahura? Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that she that Dr. King kept her on the show. Yeah. And, and for me, it's just this weird thing of, you know, and I, I admit this, and this is something I'm, I'm going to be embarrassed about till I die. I didn't know Mike Pondsmith was black till I met him. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. But you know, this is the guy who created the cyberpunk genre for TTRPGs. Right. But people go, but that's not something we do, or that's not something. <laughs> You know, black people don't like RPGs. I was like, have you seen Mike and Cody Pondsmith? (laughs) Have you seen the laundry list of people we now get to watch weekly on shows? Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like too many, and this is, you know, this is the part where I'm probably going to get in trouble with your audience. (laughs) No, you're But, well, I've, so, I mean, you're familiar with the term misogynoir, right? I'm sorry, what? The term misogynoir. Uh, I've heard it. Yes. 
So it's it's not just misogyny, it's it's the extra level of misogyny that black women often get from black men. Okay. The ones that'll be on Twitter, well, I wish I had a gamer girlfriend and, and women buy they don't care about games until less is to get some dude. And it's like dick is free and plentiful. <laughs> I don't need to spend five hundred dollars on a system to get you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but those dudes that act like that or act like, you know, all women are fake gamers, you only play Candy Crush, mm-hmm. or if we say, or if I say, you know, I did some Street Fighter V labbing, well, what's Ryu's inseam on this special edition costume? You could only get a Capcom Tourney 2001. And it's like, bro, <laughs> I've probably been playing games since before you were a thought in someone's <laughs> eye. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. It's, it's, I mean, that's a big part of like what I really don't like about the social aspect of, of mm-hmm. gaming. And I mean, I avoided social media for so long because of this, but like, I remember I played World of Warcraft for like a weekend. It was a long weekend. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I did, and then I initially enjoyed it. Um, and then it just became repetitive. But one of the other things that I really hated about it was dealing with strangers online Right, we were. I remember we got to this part where there was the uh, the naga, which is like for people who don't know, it's like a half snake, half person type of deal. Mm-hmm. And naga sounds very close to another n word, and that became a thing. Uh, strangers playing the game around me, and it was like it didn't matter if I told them like, "Hey, like I'm not cool with that," whatever. It was just like, "Oh, now it's becoming an even bigger joke," and so things like that. It just really, I'm like, I don't want to be called a little bitch by a, a fucking 12 year old kid. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, those kind of things, I think it just really makes it hard for people who really enjoy gaming, who people um, who enjoy sharing their gaming with, with folks and, um, and having to like sift through the vitriol of random strangers who think they can gatekeep the whole world. Yeah, and that's not even so much gatekeeping. That's just straight up being a racist. True. Yeah. yeah. And shit, yeah. but there are the people that you know, like I've I've been really enjoying Elden Ring. Like I finally kind of hit that that progress point of oh, the world's opening up now. I can go do stuff. Mm-hmm. And people want to come in. They want to backseat. They want to tell you that you're not really a Souls player. Oh, this is your first Souls game. You're not. Re-. And I was like, the way that you all act, I don't want to be a true souls fan because also what does that even mean (laughs) yeah um and it's just it's weird or the people that come in i you know like there's a lot of black women i know who game Mm -hmm. a lot of uh black and like black femme queer folks black non-binary queer folks and they just can't get any peace trying to just exist and go enjoy like elden ring or stardew valley or what have you and it's like Look, I just want to chill and farm my little rutabagas, get my cows, out of my chickens. Yeah. Let me live. Yeah. And it's such like a, a weird, like, what is wrong with you that you have to find somebody who's enjoying their life and go in and disrupt it? Like, you have nothing. <laughs> yeah. It just seems awful. But I mean, I think that's a good segue into something that you've created, which was um, the stream etiquette, right? A viewer etiquette. Um uh-huh. Yeah, which I I think is so important. So as a person who like has a hard time sometimes with social norms and, and cues and stuff like that, I found it helpful anyway. But I think it's super helpful for folks um, who might just be inconsiderate sometimes to read and be like, oh, yeah, okay, this is not a good thing to do. 
Um, yeah, you would think, although I had a weird interaction and it wasn't an interaction. I forget what my like auto go live says, mm -hmm. but it's, it's stupid and it's cutesy and I, you know, I should change it one of these days, but someone came to the chat and they're like, be nice or get a ban. Okay. Two year old. And then they did unfollowed. I don't think they were even following me <laughs> or if they, fo they followed just long enough to come in and complain. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it, it, you, I hope you realize that that's just me being cutesy for my go live. <laughs> yeah. And like, you really just wasted all that time just to do that. Like, that's and just like, <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I wasn't even there. I was on the starting soon screen. So it was like, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I hope you have a good day wherever you went. But it was just like, that was weird. But yeah. like, what do you, and you know, we talked about a little bit before, before you start recording about fear of streaming yeah. and it's, but it's stuff like that for some people that could really throw them off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like when the hate rates were happening a couple of years ago and yeah. Well, not even a couple of years ago, last year, but then in 2020, how people finally realized we exist because of the protests around George Floyd's murder and stuff like that. You, I found it really interesting and, and in a weird way, how people don't seem to understand that you came to someone's channel, you came to their stream. For me, I treat it like you walked in my apartment. Mm -hmm. I'm letting you come visit. And granted, it's on the internet. I can't stop you. Yeah. But... I wouldn't walk in your house and come in and start calling you names, critique how you keep house or whatever. But that's what people do all the time on Twitch and think it is perfectly fine. Yeah, it is a very bizarre behavior. Um, and I don't get it. I don't get it either. I mean, it's, it's one of those things like it's just so weird that people will commit that time to it. Like I just, that part of it really, really baffles me mm -hmm. um, because like if I don't enjoy something, if I don't want to engage with it, then I just won't. Right. I'm just move on. And right. I think a lot of other really rational people just like, yeah, why would I stick around if that's not what I'm, I'm looking for? Um, and I think that some people clearly, obviously some people looked for black tags, uh, queer tags, et cetera, um, to, to target folks, right. When we were talking about hate rates. Um, and that's, that is around the time, which probably added it into my fear of, of streaming. That's around the time that um, I joined Twitter to start this podcast. It was July last year. Um, and mm -hmm. I remember a lot of the discourse on Twitter was about hate raids and, and about the things that were going on. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, you know, in your experience, like has that, not, it seems like it's slowed down a lot, but like it, it, I'm sure it's not gone completely. No. Um, one of my friends and also one of my teammates as recently as like two, three months ago, got a, like an 800 person hate raid. And no, she's not a person of color, but she's very out and queer. Mm -hmm. And she was crocheting. Yeah. Like, who hate reads someone crocheting? Yeah. That's just ridiculous. It's, I mean, is there like, when you can see a raid coming, right? So there's no way to stop it from that point? Um, I mean, you can't do anything. You can, you can take precautions. So um, one thing I've done, and, and someone else came up with this idea, I can't, I can't take credit for it, is if you've got a stream deck, or if not, you can write like a mini script or, or commands of, should you start seeing bots flood your channel, you throw everything into one day follower mode, it will um, throw the chat into emote mode, so basically no one but your mods and VIPs could talk. 
And certain words, like if they're using certain words, certain phrases, you can go in and add that to the uh, band words list quickly. And that way, those messages won't even show up in chat. And you just kind of wait it out. Some people just put up a BRB, wait it out. And when they don't get the response that they're hoping for, they move on because a lot of times they want to make you freak out. They want to make you like stop your stream and, and, and cry or what they want the response because that's what they get off on. Yeah. And for me, I just get annoyed. I'm like, really, don't you have anything to do? Anything? Seriously. That's uh, yeah, that's frustrating. Um, You know, I think uh, one of the other things that I really want to talk to you about is you started, um, I need diverse games. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know you've told the story of how that started before, but um, just briefly, uh, you know, for those who don't know what that is. And then, um, yeah, I just want to talk about like what, what that means and why it's important. Uh, I need diverse games started mainly out of spite because (laughs) there were too many games that I kept seeing with the same, you know, brown hair, blue eye, white dude protagonist. There are no people like us or no women. There are no openly queer folks we could see. We still have fight for visibly disabled or non-visibly disabled characters. And so I threw some tweets out with, it'd be great to see people like me. I need diverse games. And it was right time, right place, lightning in a bottle moment. Um, it caught on, trended on Twitter. Uh, friend Mickey Kendall Carnethia tweeted, and she's she's always had a great Twitter presence. And, you know, not just shared it, but also said, hey, don't forget where this came from. And it started on my Twitter, and then I gave it its own uh, Twitter, its own website. And it was just like the right time, right place. It unfortunately also kind of sprung up when when the dark side of gaming really was getting a foothold, otherwise known, otherwise known as GG. Um, and a lot of people thought it was in response to, and it wasn't. I wasn't even thinking about them. I was like... I would like to just see more brown people. I want more melanin in my games. Yeah. Um, you know, it grew into its own nonprofit. Now it's a not for profit just because with COVID and everything else, we're not going anywhere. (laughs) Not really doing anything. So, you know, knock on wood, people are still supporting, but even with conventions and things happening again, I'm still not comfortable asking someone to table for us or being at a table for eight hours because while conventions are taking precautions you have zero control over what they do once they leave that convention right so they could be maskless everywhere else even if let's say packs or somewhere else says you have to wear a mask so i have i have no control over what someone does outside those convention halls and so i didn't want to take that risk for myself or ask anyone to take that risk for sitting at a table being in like almost, I mean, if we were in person, like almost the same proximity would be in person. Now me getting on a plane and taking the risk for myself, me, myself and I, that's my choice. Um, But I'm hoping as, you know, knock on wood, COVID either gets to a level where it's endemic versus pandemic. and We just need shots every year and we can kind of function normally, kind of. I may like, maybe for PAX West, PAX Unplugged, try to go back to it in the way that we were. But for now, we're just trying to support people, get them to like things like Game Developers Conference, support folks doing, you know, dope things like RPG or trying to start streaming. We just did micro grants for developers. We gave out 12 micro grants of $1,000 each and uh, stuff like that. So things we can still do remotely and have an impact. Yeah, that's incredible. I think that's, that's super cool. I love it. I mean, I think that was one of the the biggest reasons for me making this podcast was just not seeing it and not 
having people around me uh, outside of my like my home game group, which is pretty diverse. But like everywhere else I looked, um, I just couldn't really find it, and it was hard trying to find you know other podcasts that were um, folks who were POC. It was just in general like the streams and stuff, and you know part of that was my fault because I just wasn't internet why well, internet savvy but like i just like i said okay, i refuse to be but, on, on on social media i mean but hold on though that shouldn't be a reason you just can't find other brown folks playing rpgs True. or podcasting yeah. because even if you weren't on twitter weren't on you know whatever other socials there's still podcast feeds there's still like even if you have facebook and it's just like for your family or, you know, you don't have to have a Twitter account to interact with Twitter. Yeah. So and the reason I, I jumped in is because a lot of people will go, well, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter that much. But I'm like, but you can get on Twitter and ask where all the brown folks are. How about you put that energy into looking first? Yeah. And then going, I looked, I found podcasts. I'm not sure if these are all folks of color. Does anyone have recommendations? Because what I see a lot of times, people who make an account, and then they just hop on and they just don't know, like they don't do the basic work, I guess yeah. is the best way to say it. But you not being on social media, I don't think should be a factor or, or don't blame yourself because you're not on social media. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I think, you know, but it was one of those things like it just I couldn't find it. And I think, the, you know, something that I realized is like as a podcaster, uh, podcast algorithms or whatever or search um, menus they aren't built to lead people where they want to go. Like if I put in black TTRPG, I'll find through black halflings uh, in my show. Right. Cause I specifically put it in my, in my um, description, my podcast description, but it's like, that's the only way to get tags, if you will, onto your podcast. So when people are looking on Apple or Spotify or whatever, that they can find it. And I think it's really frustrating that that exists in general um and because that was the primary way that i was looking it was just like i was very frustrated so i wanted to make a show because i'm like i know i'm not the only black person who plays these games i know you know what i mean like i know yeah. that there are more of us out here doing this stuff and so i wanted to find more people um who who are doing this stuff who are creating and that's kind of how this developed and became what it is um and yeah so you know that feeling of i need diverse games that really sat with me immediately um because yeah that's what a lot of us are looking for obviously so yeah it's uh it's incredible and speaking of a diverse game like into the motherlands let's talk a little bit about that um because yeah that is uh um i mean i recently talked to to daniel kwan who is a part of your team and mm -hmm. uh and he just uh, is over the moon about it. Um, absolutely in love with the project, and I—I I mean, I think it's with with good reason. Um, but yeah, that uh, loved uh, brainchild of yours. What <laughs> you know? Let's get into that. Hey y'all, it's your favorite host, and I wanted to just pop in here to say uh, if you're enjoying the show. Uh, and you'd like to give us some support the best way to do that is through patreon uh, i've launched the patreon with a couple of tiers there's a three dollar tier which gives you access to the discord and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that uh, and just kind of talk the show talk a bunch of different nerd stuff 
and then there is a, another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast. Subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. Uh, so first came the stream show actually. Yeah. And that came about because I was, I was pitching stuff to Twitch and I was lucky to have that opportunity to pitch stuff to them. And I'd thrown out like Star Trek D and D and I also want to do something on the, I need diverse games Twitch channel. And they were a little iffy on Star Trek, mainly just cause of IP and other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were like, you know, there's a billion D and D shows already. You can yeah. throw a rock and hit a fantasy show. Yes. Um, and so, but they like the sci-fi idea, like tell your own story. I was like, what? They're like, tell your own story. And I was like, uh, okay. And they said, okay, come back with these parameters. This is what we want from you. You know, X numbers, X number of content, how so many hours by the end of this calendar year, what do you think you could do? So sat down with B Dave Walters and you know, like, he already said he wanted to be involved. So I was like, okay, well, you know, what kind of, what kind of story do we want to tell? What are things we absolutely don't want? And we we agreed before we even came up with the plot was we wanted a story that 10, 15, 20 year old us would have loved to see Mm -hmm. that we would have wanted to turned on the TV, turned on, you know, gone to a movie and saw science and fiction like Star Trek, like, you know, Black Panther saw Wakanda, Mm -hmm. but it's all people of color. Yeah. And, but also we wanted to get rid of the colonialism and slavery that is inherent in so many RPGs. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always somebody who wants to bring up slavery or like they look at orcs, they look at elves, you know, in, in almost any RPG you look at when the, there's always quote unquote lesser races mm-hmm. that have that history. And so we said, okay, no colonialism, no slavery, all POC team. What's our story. And I initially had the idea that, you know, it's modern day. Black people have had enough. We've left because nobody's wearing a mask. And we're sick of COVID. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, that's a little too close to home right now. And also, it's. I mean, it's hard to do, be contemporary in the moment. Yeah. Um, and also, if we're already suffering, and because that was the point when lockdown was really hardcore and like yeah. no travel, no nothing. And he's like, yeah, that may hit a little too close to home. And he said, well, have you ever heard of Mansa Musa? And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> Or I might have said yes and then quietly went and Googled because I'm the worst history <laughs> student ever. And uh, so he's like, you know, real life emperor. Here's this tidbit about him where he sent an expedition that never made it. What if you say the expedition still left, but it landed on this other planet? You no, know, however, we wave our hands, they yeah. got there. And it's fast forward two, three, four thousand years. And now it's a story of that of those lost wanderers that have integrated into this culture. They're the immigrants. They're the ones that showed up. They're like, okay, cool. Dope. And then we scouted and, you know, got our cast together, got everything together and people loved it. Mm -hmm. And we said, okay, let's make a game. Yeah. 
and we put the Kickstarter out middle of season two on, of the stream show, and we funded ninety minutes. Yeah, wow. that's that's been about a year ago. Yeah, and uh, it was weird because I I know the people who know me are going to laugh at this. I'm a little bit of a pessimist, <laughs> um, but you know I've also seen projects by all POC or by majority POC not fund or have to get down to the wire to just make their goal, let alone stretch goals. Yeah. And when we hit the goal in 90 minutes, you could have knocked me over with a feather. (laughs) Um, Cause I think I just sat here just kind of staring at my screen and going, no, that that's not no. And then we just kept hitting stretch goals and all this other stuff. And, uh, and I was like, well, we're here now. Um, Okay, cool. I guess that's what we're doing. We're making a game. And, uh, you know, we, we reached out to some people that we initially talked to about doing the stream show, but timing or whatever didn't work out. And then put out a call for folks. And we are now in our mechanics, uh, our first mechanics play test, because lore story is, is getting fleshed out. But, you know, it's the you need the bones of how do I do the thing, even yeah. if you've given me this world. Um, and so we have signed with a publisher. Can't share yet who it is, mm-hmm. but um, we did share with our backers and this will be public. Uh, that means that the book will not be out this year, unfortunately, because a making your own mechanics is hard. It's harder than even I expected. Yeah. And uh, balance is important. Mm-hmm. And uh, B. Dave likes to say a bad game is bad forever, but a game is late only once. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're telling backers what's going on and keeping them up to date. And so all of this week we're doing more playtesting and just making sure people can, can you make a character? Can you run a sample scenario? Do Does this make sense reading how dice pools kind of work out? Because we're still doing a dice pool. Mm-hmm. We're just not using Cortex. Gotcha. And so it's full sale. We're, we're kind of knock on wood waiting to get a yes, no from Twitch on season four mm-hmm. on more funding. But until mechanics are in place, uh, Eugenio, bless his heart, said he is not going. And, and that's not the Southern bless your heart. I really mean that. Yeah. Because um, yeah. he is one of my dear friends. Yeah. He said, until mechanics are locked, I don't I don't want to basically make it look like another season is a play test yeah. of what we're doing. So basically, once mechanics are here, this is how you do the thing. Then if Twitch gives us more money, then we can go ahead with the show. Yeah. Um, but also, people are busy. Cons are happening again. Travels happening again. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the what we wanted to do is have this story that is very black focused, but it's not. And this is the part that's going to annoy me, and it will annoy me till this game is out and in people's hands. We keep getting the well. I'm white. Can I play this game? Yeah. And I want to go. Do I get to ask you that about D and D? Do I get to ask you that <laughs> about Pathfinder? Because you know, if I got on Twitter and asked that, mm-hmm. I would get run off of Twitter. Yeah, I'd get no peace ever again. Yeah, and I'm like, why is it that? Because I, uh, and if I'm rambling, please stop me. No, no, no. You're um, fine. but I feel like a lot of people see any media made by people of color or specifically black folks or mostly black team as I can't relate to that. Mm-hmm. That's not for me where we, on the other hand, have had to sit with media without us present for the start of TV, movies, film, uh, gaming, yeah. even now and be expected to be okay with it. 
And when we do ask for a crumb of representation, people get mad. Yeah. So we have this story now that is centered on us and not just us, but aliens and all this other stuff. And we're creating a sci-fi world for you to go play in. And that's your first question. Why don't you go interrogate the games you've been playing for 50 years then? Yeah. Seriously. I mean, and, you know, for whatever it's worth, it seems like Pathfinder and D&D are slowly listening to those uh, <laughs> those conversations. Um, because, yeah, that's starting to happen. But, yeah, I agree. I think there's nothing like having something that was made by folks that look like us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, yeah, and I think that that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it if you don't look like us either um because that's ridiculous uh, like you said we already we have we have been enjoying your uh the stuff you've made that didn't include us for a long time um so it's yeah. it's really not that hard um but yeah i think it's just one of those things like it, it it's a worrying question right um because it's like well do you plan on playing stereotypes like do you plan on trying to take on an accent um because Literally, just play your character and right. don't be an asshole. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, part of what I wrote, and I wrote it for the quick guide initially, was playing outside your experience because the artwork, everything else is is telling a story. And, you know, us as players and Eugenio as our storyteller, mm-hmm. there are things we do and say that you know this is your people. Mm-hmm. The things we do and say that I would never do at a table with a bunch of white folks. Yeah. Or that wouldn't get so like if you and I were playing and I made an intergalactic CP time joke, you would get it. Yeah. I wouldn't do that if we were the only two brown folks because yeah. I don't want to have to explain it. <laughs> right. But when we're all brown, we're all black, I can make those jokes and it's okay. Like with rivals. Yeah. There are things that we've joked about on rivals that, again, I would never do at a table. It's not all people of color. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I know, I know we don't talk about, dave Chappelle anymore but i think when it leaving, we don't talk we don't talk about dave Chappelle anymore like bruno yeah like bruno yeah um but only just to say when in leaving the, his show the first time he talked about that of just like folks laughing at him and not at the jokes um and i think that's a very similar feeling of just like we yeah we want to enjoy it and we want to enjoy it safely and not and not have you thinking that it's okay now for you to say it Oh no, it's going to be a it's going to be a sad day for anybody. Well, and and that's the thing too where I you know, I keep getting people who want me to run motherlands for them. Yeah. And part of it is the game's not done. Right. Just just to be blunt, the game ain't done yet. It's not mm-hmm. done cooking. But I don't want to bring this thing that we have made with love and as as something for our people, our communities, mm-hmm. our brown melanin beautiful communities to enjoy and to have as something for us and not in a you can't play with our toys way but in a you can play with my ball but it better not go in the street and get hit by a car kind of way (laughs) yeah um i don't want to basically perform diversity for people yeah and i've had to tell people nicely and not nicely that this is not an empathy engine there you know i don't know if you remember there were a lot of games that were called empathy games and empathy engines where the conceit was to play outside your experience and learn empathy for other people Hmm. and it's like i make this game for that reason yeah none of us sat here to put in our 
our stories ourselves for you to then take this game, play a few sessions and think, you know what it's like to be a person of color. Cause one, it's not set on earth. It's not our reality. It's not our current time period. So the people that always want to go, well, what about this? And why doesn't this exist? And cause there's someone who tried to backseat me playing a high end, high end, Hyenal, even though it's our game, I still struggle with this word. <laughs> um, our hyena type people that yeah. I modeled them intentionally to be kind of like Vulcans. Yeah. Where they're the smart ones. They're the ones that teach and they do science and they they made all the discoveries. And they're the engineers. And they're like, well, hyenas are matriarchal and this doesn't make sense. I was like, we're not on Earth, bro. <laughs> yeah. Also this ain't even a hyena. <laughs> Right, like the the character the, the creature has hyena features, mm. but they're still very anthropomorphic. But it's like also you are really backseating something that we are premiering. Yeah, really. Yeah, it's it's so wild. Don't do people that. People something. Yeah, for sure. There are people trying to backseat, and I or because we're using Cortex for the three seasons that have aired, they would try to backseat. Well, that doesn't work, and that's not how this. And I was like, if you don't get out of my chat yeah. right now. That's the biggest thing is just like every, pretty much every game that's published is like, look, if it doesn't work, then just change it or whatever. Or everyone who's ever ran a game has gotten rules wrong at some point. Um, you know, like that's part of the game. You Sometimes you make an adjustment. You don't want to go look through a 600 page book to find the rule. And so you make a, you make a decision and you move on so that the people at the table have fun. Um, right. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. I don't know it's we get this a lot during Black Dice Society during mm-hmm. right, and I think it's worse during Black Dice Society because everyone is such a high caliber player. Yeah, that I think there's this expectation that you should know literally everything by heart. But there'll be times where it's like, okay, I've never played a warlock, but my character has warlock abilities. Let me just double check, or even B Dave will go, "What does that spell do?" Mm-hmm. And it could be a uh, for the edification of people watching, or just so the player having had to read it out also is making sure that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, but we get that a lot just being a mostly POC cast on black dice and all POC cast for, for rivals. Um, we were still in the studio early on. One of our players had never DM, like he had never played D and D had never DM'd, mm-hmm. and decided, you know, to try DMing in our fifth season. Mm-hmm. And that very first episode of that fifth season, Someone in chat was talking about, I know what would elevate this, you know, really help you all get more eyes. And they named a white woman oh, who's no. well known. And I I don't think I've banned someone that fast in a chat. <laughs> well, and it was weird because like, you know, I would, we would have like our tablets or whatever with D&D Beyond. So I'm yeah. like, if you see me moving very quickly to my tablet, I'm not looking up a spell. Because I would keep chat open. I would look like, oh, you got to go. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, I don't know, people. That's so wild. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy. And it's, it's just like, yeah. Why would you say that? People. Because I think the assumption is that we don't know what we're doing. That we, we clearly just found D&D because of Critical Role. And, you know. To, to stave off anyone who wants to turn this into I hate critical role, I'm friends with a lot of them, yeah. but there are there's a firmly anti-CR camp, and not just about people finding D&D, they feel like 
it's not real D and D that it's a show it's scripted. And I was like, if you can pre-script four hours of a show or longer, memorize how everything's supposed to go and react on time on beat with the right roles. I want to see anyone pull that off. Yeah, seriously. It's uh, (laughs) yeah, there's no, I mean, even as, as like, prepared as matt mercer is with all of the Mm -hmm. lore stuff there's no way that he could be prepared for all of the things that the players throw at him so right and we've seen him pull out a handbook (laughs) or a dmg yeah and it's like okay i need you all to frame this moment (laughs) because i mean and matt's talked about it frequently you know and, and he and i are friends we've talked about this too about this whole idea of everyone holds a critical role as the be all end all. And, Mm. you know, again, this isn't slamming critical role, but there are other shows. And he has said it himself. Other people on the show have said it. And it's like, yes, it's high production values, everything else, but they're not the only show. And what I found a lot of times is people will, they will decide, Oh, well, I hate critical role, but I'm going to make sure that I hold up this other show to bludgeon CR yeah. or try to, because let's be real. It is a, it is a juggernaut of a franchise. Yeah. Um, it's not going or, anymore. or in our case, well, I guess you're okay, but you're no critical role. And mm-hmm. it's like, we had someone do that during the big hiatus between their se- campaigns two and three. I want to say season. And I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're like, well, you know, I since I'm so parched for CR, I, I guess I'll check you out. Oh, and you're good. And I was like, if you don't get the fuck out of our Twitter <laughs> yeah. right now, because that is not the compliment you think no, it is. it really isn't. <laughs> What's wrong with people? Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it is so bizarre. That's wild. But yeah, I, I'm curious then, you know, with when it comes to like Into the Motherlands, just kind of a pivot back to that. Like, mm-hmm. was that the first, was that your first venture into game design? um for my own ip yes i have done a little bit with wizards i've worked with green ronin i've worked with paizo um but in terms of actually designing something from the ground up into the motherlands is yeah yeah that's awesome i mean it's it's cool that it's you know become what it is and and um and i'm excited just to see it out in print and at a local game store that's going to be amazing um that's wild i it, it feels wild to me to say like eventually there will be a book you can hold in your hand that I'm going to be able to walk into Amazon or not Amazon. Oh God, Target, <laughs> Barnes and Noble, see yeah. listed on Amazon. Yeah. And to me, that's really, really wild. Yeah. That, I mean, that's such a cool thing though. And it's, and it's amazing to see kind of that journey, right. Of, of, you know, the desire for these things and like going through life and just enjoying this, these mediums. And then now being able to create something and put it out into the world for other people to enjoy along with you. And, um, yeah. And for it to mean as much as it does, I just think it's, yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm probably going to cry when I get my copy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's so cool. I, I, uh, I, what's funny is I was, so I've listened to Glass Cannon podcast for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I remember last year, probably around this time, this is before I started the podcast, they, um, Troy did like a, 
God, what's the word? Like a state of the nation, as they call it. And yeah. he was talking about like what they're going to do for campaign two. And he's like, we brought on these wonderful writers. And like I said, this is like me not knowing anybody. And it was like a picture of you and Gabe and Connie. And I was like, oh, that's cool. A bunch of amazing POCs. And then like fast forward a few months and be like, oh, oh shit. Like that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> Tanya and Connie and Gabe. Um, okay. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> um, I, and I know just like being a listener, a lot of that stuff hasn't happened yet, but I don't know. We don't have to get into glass cannon, but I just think it's cool that, uh, that they brought you on to, to be a writer for that. Yeah, it's, it's really dope. And, you know, I got a chance to meet Troy, hang out cause they did some shows here. Mm-hmm. We were all at, uh, PAX unplugged last year. I had to think about which PAX. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, there's also the unfortunate part of the stuff that happened with Paizo, but now that they're unionized yeah. and hopefully, knock on wood, we can get back to it and we can wrap um, Motherlands and get it out the door to the publisher. Because I found out that having a publisher actually adds time because then they <laughs> got to do their part. Yeah. Once you're like, here's all the files, goodbye. And they're like, oh no, you're not done yet. <laughs> no, no, no. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, do you enjoy like writing story stuff, lore stuff, mechanic stuff? Do you have a preference of one or the other? Uh, I, oh God, everyone's going to yell at me on the team. <laughs> I honestly prefer lore development way more than mechanics, mostly because I struggle with math. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I have dyscalculia. I've never like got tested for it, mm-hmm. but I was someone who struggled immensely with math in school. Yeah. I had to take algebra three times before I passed it. <laughs> um, but then I was fine with uh, geometry because I'm a visual learner. Yeah, yeah. Trig, I scraped by. <laughs> um, programming, I was one of those people, I don't know if you're like this, but in class in university i was there i was attentive i followed along i got it i got home and was like i don't remember a single fucking thing the <laughs> professor said i have notes i have a book what did i do like five hours ago <laughs> yeah it's uh it's tough i mean i'm sure that probably played a factor into it it's just it it's one of those things like and it, i think like now as i'm starting to like get into game design and try to figure out like how do math rocks work to create my own system. It is one of those things of like, it seems pretty simple on the face value. And then you're like, okay, but how is this going to scale? Like, is this going to balance when it's higher level? Like, (laughs) so, so, you know, a little inside baseball, Dave, don't yell at me when you hear this, um, (laughs) is that we, we, one of the things we initially struggle with is so like with a dice pool, you have to figure out, at what point are you rolling too many dice? Mm-hmm. You know, at what level do I say, okay, if I'm level one, how many dice do I get to roll versus when I'm level 10? Yeah. How do crit multipliers work? Do we say a cr- X number is always a crit, like a 20 is always a crit in D&D versus a what? Like, how do you then how do you deal with failure? Because nobody likes to fail, mm-hmm. but it's a thing that can happen. How do you balance failure so the player doesn't feel punished? How do you get to a point where you're not too powerful early on or midway through, and then you're just, or you're steamrolling early on, but by the time you get to max level or even close to it, then everything is so difficult, you're dying, you're failing. Mm -hmm. And it's that fine balance of how many math rocks is a good number of math rocks, or if it's a single die system like a D20, how do you decide then, okay, well, 
how difficult is this creature? How hard is it to do a thing? And and one thing we we kept talking about because I'm sure with D and D and I feel this way too. If I am if I am a rogue and I am skilled enough, I'm a level fifteen rogue. Why do I then have to roll to pick a lock? Why do I have to roll to climb? Yeah, I'm level fifteen. I'm close to being godlike in my skill level. Mm-hmm. I should be able to look at a lock and have it open for me. Seriously, yeah. If you can consistently roll a 30, there's no reason for you to be able to have any roll that. Or if if your modifier is so high you can never fail, that's not fun. Yeah. Because I like failing in some cases. Mm -hmm. Granted, I don't want to fail if it means I'll die, but failure can also be great narratively because the game is far more narrative than, say, D&D or Pathfinder. Yeah. But we, we need the basis to tell players... You need to do X, and if you fail doing X, narratively the the floor is yours. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a tough balance. I think as a as a GM, that's one thing that I try to do a lot is like know the stakes. Like, there's no stakes here, so you're have a pl- 18 strength. Like, you don't need to roll to pick up this thing. Uh, whereas, like, you're being chased now. It's a good time to roll to pick this lock, um, and you know, kind of figuring that out. But it is it's hard to to do on our own. And then for sure, it's hard to incorporate that into a mechanical system that works most of the time. Uh, except, you know. Yeah. And also explain it in a way that people can universally get it. And granted, I know for me, I am a visual person. <laughs> and even in our playtesting doc, I'm looking at it and I'm like, I was in the meeting where we made this up, but my <laughs> brain is like, that's a bunch of numbers and letters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you just got to take a, take a step back for a minute and, and come back to it, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, so this, this will premiere during pride month, um, and you mm-hmm. just won, a, a gamer award, um, and, um, which is incredible. Congratulations. Um, but yeah, like, you know, to, to whatever, and you're willing to talk about that experience, like I, I would love to, to hear about it. Uh, so I had to sit on the news for over a month. (laughs) Uh, so I was actually on the committee for, um, choosing the rising star. And, you know, when I got the the message from Robin over gaming mag, I thought it was about more rising star stuff. Didn't, didn't look too closely, but cause I was also live streaming when he sent the message. He's like, Hey, got a minute. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm streaming, but I'm reading messages, whatever. He's like, you know, I'm I'm pleased to give you this news. Let's chat later because we want to bring you over. And it was real close. I almost spoiled it on stream because I was like, oh, oh, I can't talk about the DM. I just got dang nabbit. <laughs> um, it was good, but it didn't seem real until I was getting ready to leave for the airport that day. Yeah. Um, and you know, when the Guardian article came out and getting talked to Kiza, and it was humbling mm-hmm. because I don't do the work that I do for accolades. I don't do it to get rich, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it also was a very good reminder for those days when I feel like the world is a cold, dark place and nobody cares that you exist. Yeah. Because I have those days. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, I've talked openly about having depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And those days where the hole is darkest and you just feel like if you slithered away, no one would notice. Yeah. Those are those moments Well, somebody noticed, somebody nominated me for this. Um, but, it, you know, it was an honor and it was humbling. And it made me think of all the people 
where I could, where I wouldn't be where I'm at without them and without them believing in what I do. Because all the people that talk about luck and, and I was just so lucky. No, you worked for it. Yeah. And I will downplay myself to the end of the earth. And had this been anyone else saying this, I would probably yell at them once I heard this part of the podcast. But, you know, I think calling everything someone accomplishes luck is downplaying the work they did because I've been doing the work for almost eight, nine years at this point. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not doing it like, ooh, give me nominations or whatever. It is, what is it that you're doing that makes other people notice? Why are you a voice for other people like you? Not a voice for the voiceless, because that's the conversation that's been happening on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But what is it about what you're doing? And also, you know, I'm out and queer. I'm not hiding who I am. And yeah. And for so many people, I grew up in the era where a lot of people had beards. They couldn't, they couldn't be out safely. They could die. You know, like lived, you know, through Matthew Shepard being murdered, and seeing all the changes that have happened. And you know, going to a mostly black high school, mm-hmm. getting the "we're not gay, that's white folks" shit. And I'm like, mm-hmm. good to know. So I'm just gonna don't mind me. I'm gonna be back in my closet. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna be over here. And, you know, not really, I never told my mom, I never came out to my mom when she was alive. And mm. it was just, it was honor. It was an honor. I mean, it is an honor, not was. The, the award's literally sitting next to me on the floor. <laughs> I need to, I need to make space on a, on a shelf so I can like look at it and have that reminder. Yeah. But mainly it was humbling because yeah. in this world that we live in right now and in, in the fact that we can't easily travel, we can't easily do stuff getting to be around people that I've only known online and to have that affirmation. One is humbling, but also it's just like, Oh God, I want to go crawl in a hole now. People have perceived me. (laughs) Um, But it was, it was a good reminder of you're doing something with whatever talent you possess, whatever that may be. Yeah. Um, And also it was just kind of a, I've felt like giving up recently and it was a reminder that, you know, at some point something you've said or done resonated with someone, some being on a panel talking on Twitter has resonated. And while I don't do any of this for awards or accolades or anything, the most honor honoring thing and humbling thing is having people come to me after panels or reach out or, or like when the, um, documentary came out and them reaching out and going i didn't know people like me did things like make games or mm-hmm. or played dnd or even streamed and that's the reminder that's that's the kind of universe going hey you know that this is important you should keep <laughs> doing it yeah. and not in the selfish way of like i i don't want to ever give up myself because yeah. i i will have people go oh, well you need to do this you need to be here for other people and it's like First and foremost, I need to be here for me because if I can't take care of me, then I can't be here for anyone else. Yeah, so important. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's that's incredible. And thank you so much for sharing. I think it's 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 like you say all the time, like we need to celebrate the positive things that are going on too, mm-hmm. not just our trauma um, and dealing yeah. with that. And yeah, I think it's it's incredible. And and I think anybody who's ever tried to build any sort of platform whatsoever knows how hard it is to get to um any point any level of recognition let alone the level that you're at and 
so yeah, I mean, you know, full respect. I, I think it's, it's amazing what you've done and, and, um, how you've, you know, added voices to the space. And I remember the first time that I really became aware of you was your interview on three black halflings and, uh, and talking about, you know, supporting smaller creators and stuff like that. And I think one of the things that has always stuck with me, because I was always going to be a show that was going to have diverse voices on it. That was never not going to be a thing, but there are other shows out there, uh, not like mine, but TTRPG talk shows in general. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was one thing I noticed quickly was like you said, I'm pretty sure you said, um, you know, B Dave is not the only black man that you can get on your show. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and yeah. And, and one, I knew that as a person who is constantly trying to get diverse voices on my show Two, I knew that as a person who was in the space, but at the time not being asked to be on people's shows. And, Mm um, I mean, like I'm here, I'm talking about this stuff. Like I'm literally just a DM away. Um, and so, you know, it was one of those things like I'm, you know, I didn't, I didn't need anybody else's validation, but I also wanted people to recognize that I was trying to do a good thing. And it's mm-hmm. like that weird balance that I think a lot of POCs yeah. go through, like, like yeah, we're trying to do good, but also don't perceive me. And you know, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is I'm here, I'm present, and and you know, it's hard because what I always try to remind people is that. Yes, I'm here, but don't think of me strictly as the diversity lady or yeah. you're only reaching out because you need a brown face. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not tokens. Like yeah. when I had a podcast about gaming and mostly about video gaming, I called it Fresh Out of Tokens on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there are people, I mean, we've all seen them. We've seen the Candace Owens of the world and yeah. other places and Ben Carson. Um where they're very happy to be that token. They're very happy to be the one brown person. Cause, and, and I said similar on Three Black Halflings, and I'll say it here, is that there's room at the table for everybody. You know, don't act like if I got it, like if me and you get on a show, that's it. Can't be even more brown folks because we're here. You're going to take our spot. Um, you know, shout out to Jasmine Bular because she talks about this a lot. Where she, you know, she is, you know, out and queer. Also Desi and, and talks about like, People only seem to know her and Anjali, who does, you know, who's a voice actor as well, and now has been on Critical Role and other stuff. And it's like they're the only two brown Desi women that seem to come up in conversation. But if you get one, you it's like we got to pick one or the other. We can't have both. Or you know, like, and, you know, and there are people that uh, some must say this, and I know it's going to be a terrible thing, but I don't care. I will never be anyone's fucking token. Yeah. If you ever see me talking about being okay with a token, you know that I've been replaced by a pod person. <laughs> yeah. Because um, we should never settle for crumbs. We should never settle for being a token. And if you get to a table, you get to a podcast, and you're the only brown face, you need to ask why that is. And start asking who else is on a show. Because yeah. I've started doing that. One, because let's just be real. I don't like everybody and everybody don't like me. I'm fine with that. I don't care. But that's life. Yeah. But there's also people, I may enjoy them as a person. We can hang out. We can kick it. We can get dinner. I may not want to sit at a table with them, especially for a long going thing. But also, if you are white and hearing this, ask who's at the table. And if there's no people of color, you may want to go, I'm good. You should think about bringing in someone else. And, and, And this is something I'd love your 
thought on is that we always see that kind of reverse argument back of, well, if I bring in people of color, isn't that tokenization? It's like, nobody said, just go find a random black dude on the fucking street. Yeah. We're saying still do the same process, but there has to be somebody who ain't white that you can find that will meet whatever standards you're doing has availability, but don't pull the, Oh, I'm just going to go get any old Brown person. Mm -hmm. And isn't that the same as being as tokenizing? I'm like, no, no, because diversity does not mean sacrificing quality. And that's the thing we really got to get people to understand. Yeah. I mean, I've done, this is now I think episode 53 or 54 of the show with a new guest every Mm -hmm. time. Like if you can't find somebody, you're not looking. And that was like the one of the biggest things. So like smaller TTRPG Twitter will constantly do like these days of like promotion, et cetera. And one of them is like follow Friday where they'll just put out this list and me. Yeah. And uh, I'm a person that um, I enjoy seeing what other people are doing just because I'm like, I'm just really fascinated by this. And so looking at the list, it's like, okay, so you, you do this every single week. You put out this list of, you know. 30 white people, maybe a couple of, of of POCs mixed in, you know, probably light-skinned POCs. And then you'll go and be like, oh, I need a cast for a show. Hey, um, any POCs out there who can cast? And it's like, there's this whole oh. other world of Twitter. Like, take the time to meet people, to engage in a respectful way, to have conversations, to, um, you know, reach out and create a relationship so that way you don't have to do that and that way people like us don't have to look at that and go well i don't want to just be i don't want to be your token right um you know if you can't find a diverse people to be on your show like you haven't listened to my show you haven't looked at what utopia is doing you haven't looked at rivals water like there's so many things that there are people out here doing the work for you already for free just Mm -hmm. you know engage with people don't be weird. Just engage with people. <laughs> yeah, and then and and I don't know. There's like this weird, and and I don't know if you've seen this, but I feel like there's this this weird. I don't want to look like a racist, but I also don't want to look like I'm being a tokenizer. Yeah. And it's like, have you ever tried just following people and not being a creepy weirdo? <laughs> yeah. Have you? I don't know. Showed up in the chat when Rivals is on or Black Dice Society because. Of the people on the show, only two of them are white because Mark Mir is not white. I don't know yeah. if people know that. <laughs> um, and people act like we're just hiding, like we're just under a fucking rock that they can't turn over. Yeah. And it's like, I probably, me, B Dave, Christina, Critical Bard, Gabe, Eugenio, uh, Jasmine. There's eight people right there. Granted, very visible people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Marquia McCarty. There's um, Malika Lim Eubank. There's all these people where, yes, we're visible. And you may think of our names first, mm-hmm. but we know other people. Yeah. So if someone approaches me and goes, hey, I got a project or I want to do a show. And I can go, sorry, no room in my schedule, but here's 20 other people that I would vouch for. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing. And this is where I'm going to be that person. We need to stop acting like Highlanders out here. Yeah. And I'm not saying don't be honest if somebody's on a project and you know that you don't fuck with them like that. I'm saying 
if I get on a project, I then don't need to shut the door behind me because mm-hmm. so many people will do that. They'll get on projects, they'll get on streams, or they'll even just be on Twitter or pull out a call for stuff, and they reach out to the same 10 people mm-hmm. all the time. You know, if I did that, Motherlands wouldn't exist. Yeah. There are people that I would have never worked with before, or I'd never worked with. I knew of tangentially mm-hmm. through Twitter or met them once at Gen Con. But Motherlands wouldn't exist. Rivals wouldn't exist if people hadn't reached out and asked questions. Yeah. You know, B. Dave did the same thing. And granted, he reached out to people he knew and knew he wanted to work with. But this whole Highlander thing, but also, and this is the the part that may get me in trouble again. <laughs> don't be afraid to say, I don't fuck with this person. And here's why you do what you're going to do. Yeah. But if they're at the table, deuces, I'm out. Yeah. Because I am not going to sit at a table with people I don't like that I don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. Or that simply, I will follow you on Twitter. If I see you, I'll be cordial. I don't want to spend four hours a week for 10 weeks with you at a table because yeah. I know I'm not going to like it. Yeah. Or maybe I just don't like you that much. Or I don't know you and I don't want to get to know you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Look, not everybody is everybody's person. So it's that's uh, yeah, super important. And I think it's just important anyway just to have boundaries around a lot of that stuff because the internet's weird. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, I think that that is, uh, is a great place to, to stop. I could honestly just talk to you forever. Um, <laughs> and it's been so wonderful to, to finally get to meet you and, and have this conversation. Um, yeah, again, thank you for sharing your stories and, and for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. And hopefully one day we will get to hang out IRL. Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, when, when folks are listening to this, Gen Con is happening. Yeah. And there are, uh, there are a couple BIPOC events happening as well. Nice. So uh, if you're going to Gen Con, you're hearing this, please sign up. Please show up. I'll be there. I don't know if you'll be there, but um, there, I don't know. And I don't know if they've picked the people getting uh, funding to come to Gen Con. But, you know, come say hi. And there will be a virtual Gen Con, too. Yeah, but if you make it to indie, come say hi. Show people that there are brown folks who like rolling dice. Because I like Gen Con, I work with them. I'm a guest at the Writer Symposium, but oh my god, it's still the whitest fucking convention I've been to. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I've never been, but that is always what I hear too. Um, if for some reason uh, somebody's listening to this and they don't know who you are or where to find you, could you just let us uh, know that as well? Oh God, please don't know who I am. Let me be unperceived some days. <laughs> okay, let um, her be unperceived. Yeah. No, no. So um easiest way to find me, find my work is uh Twitter, which is C Y P H E R O F T Y R. That is Tears in the Nordic Deity, Cipher of Tear. Mm-hmm. Um all of my socials are the same except for coffee because, well, someone got into my coffee account. Uh but that is in my pin tweet too. Um <laughs> My management is Bridge Six Global, so Jessica at Bridge Six Jessica at Bridge Six Global will get to me, and uh, yeah, streaming, doing all that stuff. If you follow this and find you're blocked on Twitter, think about the people you follow because, <laughs> well, block lists exist for a reason. Yeah. Um, or you maybe you're just rude to me. I don't know. And don't uh, be rude. Don't be rude. Don't be a dick. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, yeah, but if you, you listen, you enjoy this, please say hi. Also, please support Secret Nerds, support all the brown folks, and not just the ones that you can see every five minutes on Twitter. Just go <laughs> say hi. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and make, yeah, thank you again. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. 
If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show, and if you like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. Thank you.